she wants to thank everybody here for praying for her. Um, she's gotten cards and all kinds of stuff from people at the church, and she's just really excited about what's going on. Uh, when we went into the doctor's office after I prayed for her, she was supposed to be in her brace for two to three more months. And uh, the doctor was looking at the x-rays, and he just couldn't believe that she was healed. And so she asked, she said, so when am I going to be able to get out of the, this brace? He goes, you can get out of it right now according to these x-rays. <laughs> That's how awesome God is. So because of that and the testimony that she had there, because she's going through the you know, radiation treatment with the cancer because that's what caused the vertebrae T12 to crush, because of all that, she decided she you know, really wanted to get into church. Um, she, I put a, a, an app on her phone, the same one that I use every morning. Uh, it's, it's a Joseph Prince app, and I read the scripture that's there and, and kind of read his teaching and then kind of think about it. I meditate on it all day long, you know, just kind of, you know, try to find out what the Lord's saying. So she started doing that every morning. She would do it before I got up. She'd get up and, and, and she's, she's like, well, did you read your scripture yet? You know, I mean, she, she's on it, you know, and she's still doing it. She's, she's got a church right down the road. I went there the first day uh, or that Sunday and, you know, I didn't ask to go to church. She asked, and then I, it was it was awesome. I got to baptize her last Monday. Yeah. So, so I'm telling you, it was it was an amazing trip. It was a really good trip. God has has done some magnificent and mighty things. Amen. Well, I want to welcome everyone this morning to Thrive, and I want to welcome those that are here, and also those that watch us online. And I want to thank you for allowing me to be gone a couple weeks to, to take care of my mom and, and do these things. Um, we left a series uh, last week, and we're going to start a new one. I mean, last time I was here, we, we dropped off a series. I have decided we're going to start a new one uh, today called Breaking the Rules. Everybody's thinking, man, that's, that sounds pretty cool. It, it really is. I like to break the rules. Um, this series really is going to be about relationships, and statistics tell us uh, that divorce, immorality, pornography use, uh, the, the percentage is the same in the church as it is out of the church. So we've become like the world. We look just like everybody else. And we, the church, are not supposed to look like everybody else. We're supposed to be, you know, in the world, but not of the world, right? So... What I, what I want to do is I want to talk about the norm, how it's crept into the church, and how to get it out. And our theme verse is going to come out of the book of uh, Corinthians. And the church at Corinth was in Greece, and it probably resembles the modern-day church here in America. It was, it was a very worldly church. Now, they, they had the Spirit of God. It's not they didn't have the Spirit of God because... Paul talks about that, but they were a very worldly church. They were, they were morally corrupt, but they were financially prosperous. I mean, they had a lot of things going on, but what they didn't have is they didn't have the power of God truly flowing into the church. So Paul connects with them here. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. See, the world thinks that we're a bunch of fools for believing the stuff that we believe in. You know, they think that it's illogical. 
And they use science, but they use a flawed science. They use like biology and stuff like that, which is flawed. What we use, to, and we use science too, it's not that we don't, we, we use actually a greater science. We use quantum mechanics and quantum physics. We use a quantum science, which is a proven science. We, you, you get into to, to nuclear physicists and things like that, they'll be able to prove God through science. So we're not a bunch of fools. Actually, Christianity is really intellectual, and, and, and it's simple at the same time, which is amazing. So it goes on to say, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Paul's quoting out of Isaiah uh, chapter 29. He's saying those who don't buy into this belief of Christianity are going to be frustrated. And you can take a look at the world. The world is frustrated. But those who buy into this belief and trust this belief, they have peace. They have, they have life. They have, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's something totally, totally different. And the reason why the world hates us and the reason why they're so bitter is because we're not frustrated. Amen. That's the truth. When you get all frustrated, when you get all worked up, when, when things are just all messed up, then what happens is you get bitter. And that's the whole reason why the world is bitter. Then it says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You hear the term progressive thinking all the time. Let me tell you, that's ungodly. See, I'm, and when I say progressive thinking, I'm, I'm saying this, is people who think progressive thinking is the right way, they change their morals. They change their values. Well, you know, that's, that's the old way. Look, you can change the culture without changing your morals and values. But when people in politics talk about progressive thinking, they're throwing morality out the window. Amen? I mean, that's the truth. And because of that, we brought it into the church. And it's got to get out of the church. We have to get this stuff out, and we need to allow God to be God in the church. See, progressive thinking is a trap, and, and we get caught into the trap because it sounds logical. It sounds reasonable. But he just said that our intelligence, our reasoning, our logic is foolish. He just said that in this scripture. So what we need to do is we need to get back to the word of God and allow the word of God to transform us into the very image of Christ. Because if we don't do this, what's going to happen is when the Bible says, will I find any faith when I come back? That's really what it's talking about, because the church is turning into the world. And we're supposed to get the world to turn into the church. Amen? Come on, this is good stuff here. Now... In verse 25, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now, in this series, I'm going to be offending some people. I'm going to just tell you that right off the bat. But just bear with me. Listen to what's, what I'm trying to say, because I'm not trying to offend people. I'm just trying to give you the truth. And when you get the truth, it's your decision and your choice what you want to do, okay? 
And this portion of scripture I'm about ready to read is real controversial in today's society, in today's norm. I'm going to straighten out some religious thinking about it, but at the same time, we're going to handle it. We're going to go right through it. We're going to start in Romans chapter 1, in verse number 22. Now for years, and I've heard this for years, I've heard so many people bash homosexuals using this scripture. But I'm going to show you something you might not have thought of before. And I actually, to be honest with you, I learned it by listening to a small group series that we're doing with John Bevere called Kryptonite. So I decided to study it out. And he's exactly right in what he says. So I'm going to put it the way that I received it. It says, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So what it, what's it talking about? Idol worship. That's what it's talking about, idolatry. This is, this is what this is talking about. Then it goes on to say, so God abandoned them. This is where preachers like to beat these people up. They like to use this scripture. But basically what it, what it really means is this, is God's not involved in what they're doing because God is not their God. Their idol is their God. Keep it in context. So Paul is saying those who choose to live their lives outside of God, God's not punishing them. They're, they're reaping what they're sowing. And that's what's really going on. So it goes, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped, here we go, it's talking about worshiping here, worship and serve the things uh, God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. He's talking about idol worship. This is what he's talking about. Then he continues on it, so it doesn't stop here. He says, that is why God abandoned them to their sinful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and, uh, and instead indulge in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserve. See, God didn't desire them to suffer the penalty. They just basically, they got the penalty that they got because they, you reap what you sow. Okay? Then it goes on, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should, should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder. See, it's not just talking about homosexuality. It's got all kinds of other stuff here, too. Quarreling, uh, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, uh, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. 
Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Okay, now let me break this down. What happens in a society, it's not one sin's greater than the other. Homosexuality here is used as an example, but all these other things are there too. And homosexuality is talked about 42% of the time. All those other sins are 1.9% because they were only mentioned one time. But what he's saying here is he's saying when homosexuality not just is present, you got to re- read the verse, when it is encouraged... When it's uplifted, when people are like, yeah, woo, applauding, come on, let's go do this, you're going to get what you deserve. You're going to reap what you sow. When we are applauding football players and basketball players and stuff like that and going, you go, boy, you go, wow, you go, then we got a problem when we because we're bashing people like Tim Tebow, who's just saying, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He's saying a society like that is going to come to demise. It's going to fall apart. What I'm telling you is this society here is about ready to fall apart. So we need to do something about it. We need to stand up. We need to quit being passive. We need to stand together with the Baptists, the Methodists, the Lutherans, all the Pentecost, everybody. We need to stand together for God. We need to bring things back. And I'm not saying be mean religious people. I'm I'm saying stand together arm in arm and love people unconditionally with no strings attached. And allow the power of God to do what God does. See, when the children of Israel, and I talked about this this morning with my leaders, when, when they got out of Egypt, Moses gave them a word, told them to stand firm. They had the Red Sea in front of them. They had the armies behind them. Uh, and God just tells them like to chill. He's got it. So the way you chill is you stand firm on what you believe. Don't waver, get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. I'm telling you, if God healed my mom, he will take care of your situation too. God is no respecter of persons. God loves you. So see, the whole point isn't so so a bunch of religious people can bash a group of people. The whole point is Paul was giving a warning of what sin does And what happens in a society, take a look at Sodom and Gomorrah. When it rose up, it wasn't he hated one over the other, but when it rose up, the demise of that civilization happened. I'm not saying be a hater. What I'm saying is don't cheer it on. What I'm saying is love those people have relationship with them at a distance, you know, don't don't get involved in stuff like that, but have some type of relationship with them where you're not judging them. Raise your hand if you don't sin in this room. Everybody, the Bible says everybody, everybody. There's not one, actually, I take it back. There is one sin greater than the other, and it's none of the ones we mentioned. It's called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. 
And what that basically means is rejecting Jesus to the grave. That is the only one. So why do we judge people's sins? We have to stop doing that. And what we need to do is give people Jesus and let him do the work. Amen? So what were they talking about? They were talking about idol worship. So basically, they were focusing on themselves instead of God. They were focusing on self-gratification. And that doesn't have to be sexual. It it could be anything. It could be food. I mean, gluttony is in the Bible, right? I mean, so, so it could be anything when it comes to idol worship. What I want to do is I want to take a look at what I've learned from this story. The first thing I learned is we gave up on God's wisdom and settled for the world's ways. I'm telling you, we've done this here in America. We gave up on the wisdom of God. We said, we're trying to handle it. We're trying to figure it out. We, we need to quit reasoning things out because our reasoning will destroy God's wisdom. We need to get back. We need to stand firm. We need to ask God to show us, to give us an answer. Romans 12.2 in the Message Bible says this, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. In other words, don't condition your heart and your mind to be worldly. That worldly reasoning. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. In other words, allow God to do the work in you. If you try to do the work, the reason why AA and all these things work for a period of time is because they go to the meetings. But once they don't go to the meetings, it's not working for them anymore. See, if you're really delivered from this, you don't have to go to a meeting to stay out of whatever addiction it is. The power of God and the strength of God on the inside of you and your relationship with him, your devotion with him and stuff like that, your fellowship with him, you don't need a meeting. You and God, you won't have the desire to do those things. See, if you have the desire to do those things, you you don't have the relationship with God that you should have. That's really what it boils down to. And that's the, that's the deal here is, is, is we need to get back and we need to, we need to go back to, the, to what it used to be with God. Those of you that, that have been born again for a long time, you remember how it was? And it was good. The next thing I learned was this, is we followed our feelings instead of our faith. Romans 8, 6 of the New Living Translation says, So let your sinful nature control... Uh, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and, and peace. And that's the thing is that we have a huge issue that we follow our feelings. We do, I'm going to tell you, the, the reason why you sin, you say, man, I, I don't want to do this and I don't want to sin. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You only do what you want to do. Anybody here... Eat dog poop? Exactly. (laughs) Thank you very much. I love that response. Because because you don't want to. 
And if you thought that that sin was dog poop, you wouldn't do it. I mean, duh. And I really don't want to do this. Yes, you do. You, you did it. You just feel guilty that you did it is all. So when you have that relationship with God, there's no guilt because you go, ooh. And that was great. I love you, man. So the last thing that uh, the story taught me was this. We trusted ourselves more than we trusted God. And man, that's just the truth. We have a hard time trusting God when there's problems going on. We want to fix them. We want to take care of them. We think that we've got all the answer. <clears throat> we, basically, we try to use our intellect to solve the problem instead of using God's wisdom. And our reasoning, what happens is we get deeper into the muck, the junk. Amen? So Proverbs says this in 3 verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not. We say, lean not. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. God just said, stop trying to figure things out on your own. Quit, quit doing that. Don't rely upon your wisdom, he said here. That, that's what it means by lean not on your understanding. Don't rely on your wisdom. Your wisdom isn't worth anything. What he just said. He said, if you give it to him, in this verse, he's saying, if you give it to him, he'll answer you and he'll give you what you need and he'll make sure that you're a success. That's really what he was saying. He was saying, if you don't rely upon yourself and your understanding and your wisdom, but you rely upon him, you acknowledge him, you put him first, then all of a sudden your life will change. Amen? So what do we need to do? We need to take a look at the ancient paths. That's actually the title of this specific message. The ancient paths. And what I mean by that, I don't mean some old dead religion. In Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, This is what the Lord says. Stand, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. What's, what is the ancient paths? What does that mean? Take a look at your grandparents and your great-grandparents and take a look at how they lived. Take a look at the values and, and things that they had in their lives. Go back and take a look at that. I, like I said, I'm not talking about old dead religion. I'm not talking about beat people up and, 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 and because they don't look like you and act like you and, and cuss like you and whatever, you know. I, don't get this old dead religion, but take a look at what made them so pure. I, I had a, a spiritual mom, uh, Betty Connors. She, she used to uh, be with a, the late Amy Simple McPherson, and she was just an amazing lady. I'm, I'm telling you, when she prayed, look out, buddy. She was standing out in Louisiana one time. Uh, Katrina was hitting. And she stood outside, and you know, you got to figure, she was with Amy Simple McPherson, and she was still alive when Katrina hit. She's a pretty old lady. So she's standing out there, and she talks to that storm and tells it to stop in the name of Jesus. It stopped at her house. It didn't go any farther. Let me tell you something. 
I'm not Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal. I'm a believer. I believe what the Bible says. And, and, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he said, if you, he didn't say, you know, you know the song, it goes, a Savior, he can move a mountain. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. You know that song? That's false doctrine. It says you can move the mountain if you speak to the mountain. It doesn't say Jesus does it. It says you do it. You speak to the mountain. You believe in your heart. You don't doubt in your mind. You don't doubt at all. You stand firm, and that mountain will be removed and cast into the sea. That's what the Bible says. But see, we put these songs. They're, they're, I mean, they're cute songs. I mean, well, let me give you another cute song. Amazing grace, how sweet sound. Now, who can deny that song? Well, I'm not a wretch. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I was a wretch before I got born again, but the moment I got born again, I stopped becoming a wretch. I start becoming a believer, a saint, not a sinner. Oh, Pastor, you just said that you sin. Look, just because you sleep in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you represent yourself in, in, in a courtroom doesn't make you an attorney. Just because you commit a sin doesn't make you a sinner. Just because you go to outer space doesn't make you an astronaut because that teacher was a teacher. Ms. McCullough. Amen? Okay. So, we need to take a look at the ancient paths. We need to take a look at the morals and values and ethics that, that our grandparents and, and, and the, the generations before had, because when you take a look at that, you'll see why America became America. It's not America the way it was meant to be. You know, and just because you bring morals and values and stuff, it doesn't mean that you're bringing us backwards in anything because the gospel is still the same in every generation and it's still worth something in every generation. It's just packaged different. So we take morals and everything. We don't have to package, package it in the 70s package. We can package it in the millennial age, but we still have morals. See what I'm getting at? So go back, and we need to take a look at this. Excuse me. And what he said was, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So when you walk in morals and values and ethics, when you walk in the ancient paths, you'll have rest in your soul. You can't have rest in your soul without it. You can be born again, and you can get rest for a season. But every time something comes up, if you're not practicing the ancient paths, You'll have unrest. You won't have peace. So I'm going to give you six culture-busting principles for marriage and family. Okay? The first one, hurry home. Now, I need to, like, tattoo that one on my forehead. See, we need to make a priority of spending time with our spouses and our family. That has to be a priority. See, what I've done is I've used my reasoning to try to think that I can really help myself get out of debt by working more. So I, I work 
three jobs. And it's really not getting me anywhere. Besides, exhausted. I'm on the runway, forgot to turn my phone off, flying back here. I get a call, and they knew I was in California. I get a call. They knew I was flying in. I get a call. Hey, we need you to work tomorrow. I'm still on the runway in Orange County, California. I'm like, wow, really? Matter of fact, I worked all week. My birthday was, was Thursday, and so I started at 5 o'clock in the morning with the school. As I get there early, I t- like to drink coffee and check the bus out. I like to, you know, I like to be there early. I'm just that, that type of person. And so I'm there, and then on the bus, and I was only going to work that morning, on the bus while I'm driving, the sheriff's department gets a hold of me. Says we got a lot of deputies basically sick. We need some help. So then I'm transporting people. Then, once I get done with that, I had a training class with the sheriff's department that didn't get done until after 10. Then had to get back up at 5 o'clock or be there at 5 o'clock the next morning to do it again. And that's kind of how my week went. So then Saturday, you'd think that, okay, you'll get some rest. No, because I didn't have time to write a message. I didn't write one when I was at my mom's house. So I spent most of yesterday writing a message. Then, then my wife wanted us to go to a party at a friend's house, which was cool. We had a great time. And it was a 70s, 80s party. And I'm like, do I got to dress up? She goes, no, you don't have to dress up. Then I thought about it. I said, well, you know, I was a punk rocker back then. And I ride a Harley, so I've got leathers and boots and stuff, and I can, I can pull this off. So, and I had some ripped up jeans, and I had, I mean, it was, I, I mean, I, I just like, looked like an old me. <laughs> you know, so I went ahead, and uh, uh, Alexa, uh, she went with us, Alexa and Josh, and, and, and she put eyeliner on my eye right here, on, on my eyes. Well, I went over the mar- marathon, uh, over by the house, and I get in there, you know, and, and, and the lady goes, when I get up to the thing to pay, she goes, you know, I mean, like a bedroom voice. I was getting scared. It's like, is this woman hitting on me? You know? I said, why? You know? She goes, wearing eyeliner. <laughs> I said, yeah. She goes, it looks good on you. <laughs> But I'm telling you, but, but so my point is, I had no rest. I wasn't, but I mean, I did spend some time at least that evening with my family a little bit. But the thing is, hurry home. Spend time with the family. It says this, it says in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us turned his own way. If we don't come home quickly, if we don't do, everybody does their own thing social media, whatever the case may be, and we all have busy lives, and we're not spending the quality time that we need to spend with each other. 1 Corinthians 13.5 said, love does not demand its own way. So let's stop demanding our own way, and let's start doing things together as families. That's the first thing. So hurry home. Number two, cultivate communication. 
Statistics tell us, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, just everyone, that spouses spend four minutes a day in communication on an average. Statistics tell us that quite a few people spend more time on Facebook than they do on their jobs because they're doing Facebook at their jobs. So not only do they do it at home when they're supposed to be communicating, they're doing it on their jobs, getting paid by the company they're ripping off because they're addicted to Facebook. But we can only spend four minutes a day with our spouse. There's something wrong with that picture. And we wonder why marriages are trashed. Because we're trashing them. We're allowing them to, to, to go. So cultivate this. Get this going. The third thing, number three, nourish romance. Hey, baby. Nourish it. You know? Don't, you know, don't just whatever, you know. I mean, get, get all sappy. You know? Make yourself a fool. Women like that, guys. They do. See, I didn't think Leah liked that until recently. Because, you know, for a long time, when we first got together, I mean, I was always trying to hold hands and stuff. She didn't want nothing to do with that. You know? And then, um, so I wasn't big on sending flowers and stuff like that, so I, I never thought about that stuff. And, and she's always like, oh, no big, no big deal. Well, Valentine's Day comes around. Hold on. Because you're in my story. So Stacy comes over and brings a card and this nice plant. And I sit there and I tell Leah that Stacy got this plant and so on and so on and, and, and everything. And you know, we were running, so we were we went we I think we went to Walmart and then we came back home. <clears throat> so on, on the phone, I think I was on the phone with my mom again, just checking up on her. And Leah goes, oh, you know, like, thank you, honey, type stuff. I'm like, man, I mean, I felt that big. So guys, listen, they like it. Cultivate it. You'll be happy, happy, happy. Trust me. So the Bible says, in Proverbs 5, 18 and 19, rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you ever be captivated by her love. That word captivated means intoxicated. So be drunk in her love. Don't get, you don't need to get drunk in alcohol. Get drunk in her love. I tell you, you get drunk in her love, and trust me, you're going to be a happy, happy, happy man. Love. Number four, celebrate differences. What? Yeah, don't highlight them. Everybody likes to point out their differences. See, we should have never been married. We're so different. No, that's why you get married. Because your differences will complement each other. A hand and a wrench are different. But if you put them together, they complement each other and they can do things. 
a hand and a glove are different. But when your hands are cold and you put them on, it complements them, makes them feel good. You know what I mean? So celebrate the differences. Don't point them out. Don't highlight them. Don't bash each other. The Bible says in Mark 3.25, if a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. In the Good News Bible, Proverbs 24.3 says, homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. See, homes are built because of wisdom and understanding. How are you going to get understanding if you're not celebrating your differences? If you're not getting to understand each other and looking at different points of view. Because you know what? If you, if you married you, it would be gross. You would just think stupid stuff all the time with no real godly reasoning in your life. Because I'll tell you what, when I go off kilter, God sent the Holy Ghost in my wife to correct me. In your wife? See, I'm telling you, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Number five, finish together. What? Don't ever allow divorce to be in the equation. If you take divorce off the table, then what you'll do is you'll be able to work things out. If divorce is ever on the table, you'll be scared to work things out. Because you'll be scared to talk about it, because if you talk about it or they find out, you're going to get divorced. Take divorce off the table. Make a fresh commitment today. And what commitment means is this. It means being willing to be unhappy until we work it out. That's what commitment is. I'm willing to be unhappy until we work it out. I don't want to be unhappy but I'm willing to be. That's commitment. See, Leah, for five years, everybody everybody in my family calls her a saint. Because for five years, I put her through hell, or H-E double hockey sticks. I did. And they were just tripping that she would stay with me through all this stuff. But she had commitment. She was unhappy, but she was willing to be unhappy until we work things out. And in July, it'll be 30 years later that we've been married. We only knew each other three months before we got married. (laughs) Commitment. Be willing. And I'll tell you what, you'll see God show up in your marriage if you do that. It'll be awesome. And last but not least, trust God. It's God's grace that gives you the power and the ability to do what you can't do. You can't do things and you're like, man, I can't do it. God's grace will give you the power and ability to do it if you're supposed to. Amen? All right. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Trust God. Because if God's not building it, it won't, it won't stand. It'll fall. It'll falter. Have you, ever, have you ever just been like, man, you know, I just, oh, man, just, you doubted? 
That, that's because the Lord didn't build the house. 